0: Resolutions that we look for going into the new year But one of the reasons on why I like 1st Corinthians chapter 3 Because it doesn't let us go past this chapter the same And I don't want us to go past this Sunday the same I wouldn't want for us to go into the new year the same You see right here he's going to tell the church In 1st Corinthians chapter 3 That it's time to grow up <laughs> Man, isn't that amazing when you, somebody tells you and it's time to grow up and you start to think, well, I thought I was already grown as it was. But why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and tell him it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. You see, it's kind of funny when somebody tells you. But when we see it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we see that what he's trying to do here, what Paul is looking to do, is he's moving the church from spiritual defeat to spiritual victory. Isn't that amazing? Because maybe you've had some spiritual defeats in 2018. Well, He's moving the church from spiritual defeat into spiritual victory. I don't know about you, but I want this year, this next year coming up, to be the year of spiritual victory in our lives. And it only happens as a church as it would first happen in our lives individually. But you know what spiritual victory requires? Spiritual victory requires holiness in our lives. Because it, it it requires that we focus on the Lord and giving him all the credit, all the glory in our lives, and that we let the Holy Spirit take over. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 together. And it says, And I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now. You are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. Where there is envy and strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I am from Apollo I'm from Apollos. Are you not carnal? Where who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, because we are your field. We thank you, Lord, because we are, Lord, your people, God. We thank you, Lord, because we are your fellow workers, God. And we ask that today, Lord, you would speak to us and change our hearts, Lord, because we don't want to go into the new year the same. Today we're going to choose, Lord, to change. We're going to choose discipline over regret today. And I ask you all so in Jesus' name, and the church together would say, Amen. Amen. You see, what's amazing here is that now from the first two chapters, He's told the church that through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us and is upon us, that we have the wisdom of God. Then we no longer have the wisdom of the world, but we have the wisdom of God. What is the wisdom of God? The wisdom of God allows us to do the will of God. And if there's anything that you want to do this next year, it should be, Lord, let me align to your will. I want my life to be a part of your will. I don't want to be in my will. I want to be in God's will. I don't want to live my life outside of God's will. And we learn that through the Holy Spirit, we can have the wisdom of God. However, the Holy Spirit also does something else. The Holy Spirit changes us so that we can reproduce or produce more of the character or the image of Jesus Christ so that the fruit of the Spirit is actively coming from our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It changes us to give us a different mind, but also for us to produce fruit. And and we can ask ourselves sometimes, why is it that so little of His life is produced in us and so much of ourselves still remains? Why is it that we still are seeing that our life is still remaining and so little of Christ is in our lives? And you would ask yourself, why is that? Well, maybe it's because certain areas of our lives are still unconverted. Maybe there's an area of your life today that you you think is unconverted still, that you haven't given it over to the Lord. In this area of your life, you're still battling with it. You're living in defeat still because this area has you under bondage and you have not been delivered yet. You see, what He does here is He exposes the sin and He holds the church accountable. You see, accountability is something that we need in our lives. And if you did not have accountability this year, I pray that you surround yourself with a group of people that you can hold you accountable. Because accountability is healthy. In fact, accountability helps you create an atmosphere where you can grow spiritually. Spiritually. And when you don't have that accountability, when you don't have that atmosphere where you can grow spiritually, you lack in the area of discipline. You see, the people here in Corinth were refusing to let go of the world's mentality. They were battling with the world's mentality in the church. And they wanted to live like the natural man. You know what the natural man was? The man that wasn't regenerate from the Holy Spirit. The man that doesn't have the Holy Spirit. That's the natural man. We learned about the natural man, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The spiritual man, the Holy Spirit is constantly transforming that man to be more like Jesus. But then today we talk about the carnal man. You know know what the, the difference is? The natural man doesn't have the Holy Spirit. The spiritual man has and is consistently being changed, and the carnal man maybe had had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, knows to do better, can do better, but chooses to disobey. That's the carnal man. And he's living a life as a natural man without the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been in a place maybe in life where somebody wronged you? Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe somebody did something to you that that you felt betrayed. And you automatically react and say, it's only natural of me to feel this way. Well, it's only natural that this would bother me. It is only natural that this would really affect me this way. Well, that's the natural man speaking. You see, the spiritual man would say, even though I was treated this way, I'm going to forgive. Even though they said this about me, I'm going to love. Even though I have been hurt, I'm going to be healed by the Spirit of God because I choose not to live as the natural man or woman, but I choose to live like the spiritual man or woman. And today as we even prepare our hearts for communion, that which we will take later on, we have to learn that God's called us not to live in a low level of Christian living. And maybe today we've lived such a low level in the Christian life. And you know why that happened in the church? Because there was sin going on in their lives. And sin will always hinder your capacity and limit your spiritual growth every single time. And what he does here as he goes to verse 1 and he's telling them, I want you to expect more from yourselves. And I want you to also, if you take notes, to expect more from yourself this next year. When it comes to your spirituality, when it comes to your holiness, when it comes to your faithfulness or your commitment, that you would expect more from yourself because the Spirit of God works in you. And He confronts them. He confronts their condition. He confronts their behavior. And He says, you need to learn to expect more from yourself because the Spirit of God is working in you and because you have the mind of Christ. And when you have the mind of Christ, it should change everything about you. It should change your decisions. It should change your choices. And this next year, I'll tell you, we cannot afford to be passive Christians and expect spiritual growth. You know what a passive Christian does? I don't really have to pray. I can pray another time. I don't really have to read my Bible the entire year. I I can just read it as I have time or as that's convenient. I don't really have to go to church more than one time a week. I don't have to do that midweek study thing. That's not for everyone. And we become passive Christians. You see, our passive Christianity will lead us to spiritual dormancy. And we will not grow. In fact, we will become carnal. In fact, it will lead us away from the Lord. And and this is so important that, that we learn these disciplines because, I'll tell you this, discipline never happened on accident. You can never say, I I, I was just so disciplined on accident. As a disciple, we need discipline. And it never happens on accident. Discipline always happens on purpose. Discipline is always intentional. And discipline, what it does, it shapes your decisions. It shapes your choices so that you do God's will. That's what discipline does. And either your choices and decisions will shape you, or you will shape your choices and your decisions according to God's will. And this is so important because we're going to learn about this attitude. An attitude, the decisions and the choices will determine your maturity as a believer of Jesus Christ. You see, the carnal Christian, Alan Alan Redpath said it once best. He said, the carnal Christian is a child of God. The carnal Christian maybe is born again. And maybe they're on their way to heaven, but they're traveling on third class. (laughs) Have you ever traveled and you thought maybe, you know what, that first class, they go in first, they're so excited. The second class, maybe they're traveling business and, and you're waiting for them to call your, your ticket number so you can finally go and you're traveling on the last class. That's the carnal Christian, the low level of Christianity. You see, maybe the Holy Spirit is living in you, but you're still mastered by the flesh. Today we hope to come to the cross so we can put to death The flesh. So that we cannot miss out on the abundant life that Jesus spoke about. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. You see, the enemy, the world, our culture wants to rip you off from the abundant life. And they'll tie you up through sin, through culture, through deceit, through the lies of the enemy. We start believing in the lies. Because we're not filling our mind with the Word of God and with prayer and with fellowship and with accountability. And then we start to believe the lies of the enemy. And soon enough, we're, we're pushed away from the presence of God. See, G, what did Jesus say through the churches in Revelation? He says, you're either going to be hot or you're going to be cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And if there's something that we don't want, it's to be lukewarm. Maybe we were lukewarm last year. Maybe we, our commitments were very low. Our expectations when it came to our faith, when it came to holiness, were low. But we want to go into this new year with higher expectations for ourselves. Because we are a people of God's word. And today we choose to renew our commitments with God. You see, this is so important because he tells the church one thing. You should be stronger now. You should be more mature now. You should be able to grow up now, yet you're not. And it says in verse 1, I, brethren, cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. You see, he goes up to the church, he says, you brethren, he calls them brethren. You know what that means? That means that they were indwelt by the Spirit of God. These were Christians he's talking to. These were those that were equipped with the Spirit of God. However, they were acting, they were behaving just like the world. And just imagine here, we as a church, we have the Holy Spirit to equip us, to give us the power, to give us the resources, yet it doesn't transform or change our lives. There's, there's something going on here. You know what limits the Holy Spirit in your life? Sin. Because the Holy Spirit will not share the space or the room in your heart with sin. He will, he will not do that. The Holy Spirit is holy, He's perfect, and He wants all the space of your heart. He's not going to share it with pride, with sin, with ego, with secret sin, he's not going to share it with that. And he's saying, I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people as if you were God's people as, because you wouldn't understand it. Because you wouldn't get it. Because you would not appreciate the value. In fact, it says in verse 1, but as to carnal or as to babes in Christ. You see, he describes two different types of people. He said, I had to talk to you as if you were carnal people or as if you were spiritually immature. Just think about that. It, it, just imagine that, that word carnal, it's translated into the Greek word sarkaino, which means fleshy. Fleshy, that's what it means, carnal. It means that you're always giving in to your fleshly appetites, or you're characterized by the flesh. It speaks of someone who can and should do differently, but chooses not to. That's a person that's carnal. That's dominated, that's mastered, that's driven by sin instead of driven by the Holy Spirit. That believes the lies of the enemy, that is investing in their flesh. And it says, you have been a carnal Christian. You see, we should say no to a carnal Christianity today. Because here what he's talking to us, and he's telling the church, you have given no evidence that Christ is living in you. You have given no evidence that you have been growing As a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, we must never be content with being a baby all our spiritual life. And maybe you've been saved for a year or two or a few months. You've been coming to church. You've been receiving God's word. You should never be content with being a spiritual baby or living in spiritual infancy for a long time. Just imagine a baby in his diapers at four, five, six years old. You know, I have a one and a one year old and every time I have to step in and change the diaper, I wonder when is he going to grow out of this? Because I want to see him mature, I want to see him grow. You see, think about us as Christian believers coming to church with our Bibles every day, but still wearing the spiritual diapers. And here He's telling them something. He's saying, I couldn't even talk to you as if you're spiritually mature because you have showed no transformation in your life and you have shown no spiritual growth in your life. In the New Living Translation, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I couldn't even talk to you as spiritual people. I had to talk to you as as if you belonged to the world or as that you were infants in Christ. You see, they were living in defeat Because they were still in bondage to habitual sin. And because they were not delivered, this sin in their lives was holding them back. And I'm going to tell you, any sin that's taking place in your life, whether it's in your heart, or whether it's in your mind, whether it's something you're practicing secretly, or something that's taking place, unforgiveness, or bitterness, or pride, or, or maybe it's your ego, whatever it would be, any sexual sin, any type of sin will now hold you back from spiritually growing in your walk with the Lord. And that's why we have to constantly come to the cross and repent. Say, Lord, if there is something that's unconverted, remove it, because it's going to hold me back. You know what's taking place here in verse 2? It's sad to say, but there was a spiritual retardation taking place. Where they were held back because of sin. It says here now in verse 2, they were stagnant. It says, I fed you with milk before... And not with solid food. I couldn't even give you a full course meal. I had to give you just milk. Like a baby. And I couldn't give you solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And, 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 and check this out church. And even now, you are still not able. I had to give you milk. I couldn't give you food. Because you were not ready. And still, you are not ready for more of God's deep word of God. What happened? The church were stagnant. They weren't ready. They weren't mature, it says, you are still not able to receive it. Why? The church was distracted at the time. They wanted to be like the world, they wanted to have man's eloquence. They wanted to have man's wisdom, they wanted to blend in and fit in with the culture standards. They wanted to be attractive, just like the world was attractive, and live according to the wisdom of the world. You see, the wisdom of the world, you know what it does to us? It pollutes us. It makes us believe that it's promising something that really is false. It's an illusion. And we're going to have to choose today whether we're going to honor God or we're going to honor our ego. What are you going to choose to honor today? Going into this year, what are you going to choose to honor? You see, they had never spiritually grown and it was long overdue. But we must, as a church, demonstrate spiritual progress. We must move forward past those attributes that have been dominating our lives from the world. You know what Paul tells Timothy? He says, meditate on these things, the Word of God and give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 15 meditate on these things and give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all you want to have progress in your spiritual walk meditate on the word of god you can ask yourself today have i meditated on the word of god this year have i read the bible from cover to cover this year That I spend time reading? And if you didn't, well, you can start today. You can say, by this time next year, I would have already read the entire Bible and know the full counsel of God. And I'm going to meditate on the Word of God and meditate on prayer so that my progress can be evident to all. And that's what He tells them. Why? Because a baby, guess what a baby does? A baby is absolutely dependent upon another, right? A baby can't walk. He can't, you know, uh, he can't really be... uh, do things on their own. He has to be helped up. He cannot feed himself. And, and a baby is only really content when he is the center of interest. And that's how it is when we are not growing. We're only happy when we're the center of attention. But we have to learn to grow up and grow out of the spiritual infancy. You know, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, the same man he talks to now the church and he tells the church here he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Do you have your senses exercised today? Can you tell good? Can you discern between good and evil because you are growing up in the grace of God through the Word of God? See, the carnal Christian, you know what he is? The carnal Christian is a Christian that doesn't give fruit in their lives. In fact, the carnal Christian never gets fruit in their lives. And they're always spending time in worldliness. He spends much more time in TV and and entertainment and, and secular activities and less time in the Word of God in prayer. We have to grow out of that. You know, if somebody always has to chase you down to come to church, or where are you at? Are you going to serve? Please serve. Come on, can you please serve God? Like a spiritual baby chasing them down. Can you please serve God? Can you please come to church? No, we have to grow out of that. We have to grow out of that so that we can be spiritually mature, and full of life, full of faith. Where you can say, you know what? I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be at work. I'm going to be wherever God called me to be. And I'm going to be a Christian that is giving fruitful, now faith, and the Spirit of, of God is working in me and through me. But you cannot be a spiritually mature believer if there is no spiritual activity taking place in your life. We have to work towards progressive growth as a radiant Christ-like image that God has given us and produce permanent fruit in our lives. You know how you produce permanent fruit? What does it say? Jesus said in John 15, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will be my disciples. And you will bear much fruit. You see, it starts with being connected, being plugged in. Maybe last year you weren't connected. You weren't plugged in to the vine, to the word of God, to the ministry, to accountability. And therefore, you couldn't produce any fruit. No matter what you did, you couldn't produce fruit. But now we know that we can grow out of that as we're connected to the vine, to Jesus Christ, to prayer, and to His word. And know this, that our life is called to produce fruit. He said, and you will bear much fruit. And then you will be my disciples. That means that if you're not bearing fruit, can you call yourself a disciple? You really can't, because disciples are called to bear fruit. And he said, You've been a Christian long enough to know better, so you should now do better. And I want you to get that exhortation to heart today. You've been a Christian long enough to know better, so now do better. And in verse 3, it says, For you are still carnal. For whether there is envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? He's saying, are you not basically demonstrating the evidences of carnality? And there was a lot of sin going on in the church. However, look what he he goes on and he talks about first. He talks about division because that was the, the one that was the strongest in the church at the time. In fact, it was birth, division always birth and pride. If you want to have a divisive home, guess where it's going to start? It's going to start because of pride divisive work, place at work, it's going to be because of pride. We have to humble ourselves because humility always gives birth to holiness. It always gives birth to unity. It always gives birth to the Spirit of God to work. And He says here, aren't you just like the world? There's divisions among you. There's, there's strife. There's envy. It's all about your pride. It's all about selfishness. Aren't you not carnal behaving like mere men? Aren't you just acting like the world? Aren't you still controlled by your old self? It's so sad when you see people that are controlled by their old self. When you're thinking and you're living just like the world and that's what you're giving evidence to. You know what selfishness is? It's the core of pride. That's exactly why today we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, this year I don't want to go in with pride. This year I want to go in with humility. That way you can use my life. Because jealousy, quarrel, division, unforgiveness and bitterness of heart, that's of the world. That should not exist in the church. And if that exists in the church today, then we have to repent from that and learn what it means to go to the cross. Because the cross is a place of love and the cross was a place of forgiveness. You know why we don't forgive people? Why we don't love people? Because we stepped away from the cross and therefore, it's what I want. It's what my desires want. It's what my will wants. And therefore, we don't know how to forgive. We call ourselves Christians, but we're just Pharisees. We don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to love. We, We hold our pride. They did this to me. But look what he's saying here, why is there divisions among you? Why is there divisions in the church that's proving only that you are carnal? You're just like the world. The New Living Translation reads this, it says, You are still controlled by your sinful nature. Think about it, you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You become jealous of one another, you quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living just like the people of the world? There should be a difference in our character. There should be a difference in our conduct. Why? Because we've come to the cure, and that's the cross. See, if you've stepped away from that cure, that is Jesus, the centrality and the totality of Jesus, you're going to find yourself spiritually sick and bankrupt because you've stepped away from Christ. In Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, it says this, And those who are Christ, if you belong to Christ, they have crucified the flesh, That means you go to the cross and you say, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to deny myself, and with its passions and with its desires, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, it says, provoking one another or envying one another. You know what conceit does? It provokes your your brother and your sister. A lot of times you see families torn apart. You see churches split. In the workplace, the Christians can't get along. In our communities, we don't see the spiritual growth, the culture of Christ growing within our city. Why? Because of the fact that we have not crucified the flesh. The only place for your passions and desires to be at, it's at Calvary when you nail them to the cross. And today you want them to exist, take them to Calvary and nail them to the cross and crucify your flesh. Guess what? Revival happens when you crucify your flesh. We say, I'm going to deny myself and live as the example that Christ has given me. It says in verse 4 now, For one of you says, I'm from Paul. Another of you says, I'm from Apollos. Are you not carnal? See, when you start to become territorial... When you start to become followers of man instead of followers of God. Well, I belong to this group. I belong to this people. I belong because of my nationality here, because of my history, because of my family tree, because of the person that led me to the Lord, the name of the church, or the denomination that makes me different from somebody else. No, none of that stuff matters. What matters is your identity in Jesus Christ. Your identity in Jesus is more important than your identity in anything else. It's in Jesus. That's where it's found. And we start to get up with the wisdom of the world, the culture of the world, and start to stand for our status in this world. Guess what happens? You, see, you become prideful, naturally, because that's sinful. You're identifying with, like the world identifies. You're not identifying at the cross. And it says here, some of you say, I'm from Paul. Other you guys say, I'm from Apollos. Aren't you acting just like the people from the world? That becomes problematic. That's why when people ask, you know what, what position or stance do you take on this or on that? You take them to Scripture because you stand on Scripture. And the moment that you're not standing on Scripture, you're more likely about to fall. Guess what? Because Scripture is the foundation, Christ is the foundation of your spiritual growth. It says, Look, there are divisions among you. Aren't you not carnal? Isn't this problematic? Because you're identifying like the world. You're not identifying like Jesus. When you identify like Jesus, you learn to humble yourself. And it says here in verse 5, Who is then Paul? Who is then Apollos? You think that we're somebody? You think that because you have your little clique over here, or your church, or the brand that you're starting, that, that makes you, are that little clique, and makes you better than anyone else? It makes you nothing. Uh, you think that we're something, because of the divisions and the parties? This is a ridiculous imitation of the world. This is a ridiculous imitation of the world. You weren't supposed to be like the world, he says. He says, "Who are we now? Who who are we?" He's telling them that aren't we just ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? We're nothing. We're nobody. Aren't aren't we just now servants? It's sad when you go to church and you find out that the church creates celebrities. And people walk out, walk around church with their chin up and their chest out thinking they're somebody. We're nobody. God is everything. And if we don't come to church understanding that, then we miss the mark completely. The church is not to culture or to to build your fan base. It's not for you to have a community of people that respect you. It's that there will be a community of people that fear and respect God. And look what happens here in this very verse. It says, we are just ministers, that word minister means we're just servant or slaves. We're just a servant slave. We, we, we are not here to, to create followers for ourselves. You know what people in carnality always want to do? When you're living in carnality, you give evidence of self-centeredness. And you have a secret motive or agenda. It's all always about you. And if something goes against or interrupts your agenda, you get upset. Because it's all about you. That's self-centeredness, that's carnality. Oh I don't like the way they said it. That's going to come in between my plans. You know, in James chapter three, verse 16, he says, "Where there is envy, where there is self-seeking exists, you know what also exists there, confusion, and every evil thing is there. Where there is self-seeking, where there is carnality, the most demonic dark things take place there, because it's self-seeking, it's confusing, it's divisive. It's not of the Lord. And that's why today we have to ask ourselves, what is our motivation of our actions? What motivates you today? You see, because when self is the motivator, it has been said that Satan will be the rewarder. When self is the motivator, then Satan will be the rewarder. You see, when you try to build something upon yourself, you're looking at yourself. Guess who's going to reward you? Satan will be the rewarder. You know when that happens? And when you get your eyes off of God, and you start to get your eyes off your, on yourself only. Your eyes are on yourself, and, and that's all it is. I don't care about what anyone says. I don't care about God's word. I don't care about anything. It's so selfish. And you, you try to pretend like you're in God's will, but you're not in God's will. These people thought they were in God's will, but they weren't. They were carnal. They were completely outside of God's will. He says, we're just servants. We are just a vessel. As the Lord gave to us each work, we have been just doing that work. We're doing His ministry. We're instruments. As the Lord gave each one a work, we did that work. We were just obedient to what God gave us. And it says here this, in verse 5, through whom you believe. It didn't say to whom you believe. It said through whom. We're just a channel through whom people believe. Which is an extension of the love of God. And we better get that straight. So neither... Is he who plants anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. This is important. Because sometimes we think, that man, the planter, he's over there breaking through soil. He's better than the waterer. Or you know what, I'm planting, I'm putting the seed, and this guy just comes over here, and he waters, and and it starts to grow, and he thinks that he's all big and bad. (laughs) You see, I know God's called me to plant. And I have brothers that are pastors in the Lord that are young, and God's called them to water, and God's blessing their watering. But none of us are better. God's called me to plant. He's called me to break through soil. He's called me to really be there. And He's called them to water. Guess what? A planter needs a waterer. And a waterer also needs a planter. And guess what? It's neither the planter, nor it's the waterer, but it's God who gives the increase. And sometimes we think, well, man, it's that planter that, that he's doing it. It's the technique. It's the style. It's what's in. It's because if you plant that way, guess what? Your church will grow as fast as it will if you water that way. Well, you need to water the way they water. If we water the way they water, guess what? The church will start to grow. No, the church will not grow unless God grows it. And understand this we have different jobs, and maybe there's different results, but God is the only one that can get the work done. Don't think that we are the ones that get the work done. Maybe we can provide the right environment for spiritual growth, but only God can make the increase happen, and we have to trust the process and leave the results up to Him. Only God can do that. You see, as a church, I want you to know we're not called to results. We're called to obedience. And if today maybe you've been chasing results, I encourage you to pursue obedience instead, and see God led through the results on His own. Because real fruitfulness in ministry, real fruitfulness in your life, happens when we are peacefully content with what God has called us to do. That's real fruitfulness in ministry. I'm just content doing what God's called me to do. I can't wait to keep doing what God's called me to do. That is real fruitfulness in ministry. I am peacefully content with what God's called me to do. It is God's field, so God is going to do the increase. You know what he's doing here now, Paul? He's directing them, not to himself, but he's directing them to God. What is he trying to do? He's trying to develop maturity. Because they were all about self, and they thought, I can grow this. I can make this happen. It's because of me. I have a special skill or ability. That's all carnal. That's all fleshy. That's all producing division in the church. And he's saying, I want you to grow in spiritually maturity. But that only begins with three components, and we talked about them before. That only begins with humility, that begins with honesty, and that begins with holiness. Is there humility, honestly, in holiness? I want you to know God has not called you to success in numbers, but God's called you to obedience to His word. We think we're so impressed with numbers, so numbers can be a carnal way of growing your kingdom and not His. When God is not impressed with numbers. He's interested in obedience. He's interested in obedience, and, and sometimes we have a preconceived idea of what success looks like in your life. You think, well, I'll be successful if I get the house. I'll be successful if I make the money. If, I get, if this next year I have the promotion, or I have the perfect relationship that I've ever wanted, that will be successful. I'm going to tell you, that's empty. Successful is when God is able to do an increase. Successful is when you're obedient to the Lord and He comes and He blesses what's taking place. See, we talked about the carnality. We, we talked then about what's taking place here in their conduct, which is talking about the division. But now we get to focus on the cure. The carnality, which affects the conduct, which is division. But now let's talk about the cure, because we all want to go into 2019 with the cure. <laughs> and that's where we're going to take communion, because the cross is the cure. You know what the cure is also? is the centrality of Christ, because it cures the problem. It says in verse 8 here now, Now he who plants and he who waters are one. We're one. We're not different. We're, no one's better than one another. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own Labor, You see, you're going to receive reward according to what? According to the labor that you worked. According to that which you did. What does this tell us? The the, the word labor means exhaustion. It means that God has called us to be faithful stewards in the field. Labor means that you put your faith into action. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. You might as well not even say you have faith if you have no works. Because it, it means Nothing. If you today, you say you have faith, then show me your works, James said. And with my works, I'll show you my faith. Faith without works is dead. And he's talking about it here. You know what he's telling us here? With your own labor, it says here, God will give you rewards. This is amazing here because now it goes on. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. And I want you to underline every time it says God in this verse. We are God's field and you are God's building. He didn't say you're a live Christian fellowships workers he didn't say you are that denominations field and he didn't say you belong to that pastors building he said you are God's fellow workers you are God's field and you are God's building and if you belong to God if you are his possession then you have absolutely no right of living in such a low Christian level you are his possession And you are in the same, we are on the same team, the planter and the water, and we need one another. And here he's saying, we are his possessions. Why are we living in such a low Christian level? And sometimes we think, well, you know what, I've been in the church for a long time. I know what it's like. I grew up in the church. You know, I know the Bible. I know ministry. I know the philosophy of ministry. But it's not how many years you've been in Christ that makes you spiritual. It's your yearning for Christ that makes you spiritual. How is your yearning for Christ today? How is your yearning for Christ today? You see, it says here in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. You know what it it means there? It means that God wants your participation out in the field. You are His fellow worker. Guess what? He wants a partner with you. And He wants to do the work through you. You are God's field. That means He's going to do the work also in you. And He says, And you are God's building. That means that God's going to build the work from inside of you. You want spiritual maturity? You know how it starts? It starts from the inside out. From the inside out. And if you want God to do uh, work in your life, it starts from the inside out. From your heart out. You know what's so comforting about this verse that, yeah, yeah, they were living a carnal life. However, the Bible tells us in 1 John 7, from verse 7 through 9, that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What this means is that if we're not walking in the light, it breaks fellowship from one another. You can ask yourself, how come I don't have fellowship with my brother, with my sister? How come I don't have fellowship with my parents? How come I don't have fellowship with my spouse? Because maybe we're not walking in the light and that breaks fellowship. Sin will always break fellowship with God and will break fellowship with one another. And then it says this, And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our sin. But if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does this mean? That He is so faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who is? The Lord is. The Lord is so faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we come to Him. We're going to read verse 10 as we close. And it says, According to the grace of God. Not according to me, Paul. Not according to what I think. Not according to my standard. But according to the grace of God which was given to me as the wise master builder. We're going to go into something so amazing here next week. And I want to encourage you to make it out. Because we're going to springboard off of this verse where he says, because of God's grace, I've been a master builder. And he says, and I have laid the foundation and another one builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. I want you to know today, how are you building today? How are you building into the new year? He's saying, I'm going to lay the foundation as the master builder. And somebody else is going to come and build on it. I'm going to one that's going to be planning and laying the foundation. And somebody else is going to be building on it. But he says, and be very careful on how you build your foundation. Why? Because the foundation is the most important part of your building. If you have a weak foundation, then guess what? You're going to have a weak building. If you have a weak foundation when it comes to God's Word, you have a weak foundation when it comes to prayer, do not expect the Lord to grow up that building very far. In fact, it will not last. You want to have a fireproof life, a fireproof ministry, a fireproof home, a fireproof work environment and place, it starts with a foundation. And maybe the foundation was weak, so therefore everything else was weak. But your foundation will determine how far reaching and how strong the building is. You know what's awesome about when, when builders come to build a foundation? It's, it's incredible if you study how someone builds a foundation. Because when somebody builds a foundation, you understand that, they, they, what do they do? They first go, they go first, and they look at the land, and they excavate da- deep into the soil. And guess what they do? They do a soil test. Because they want to see if it's good soil to build upon. And today I want to encourage you to do a soil test of your heart. And see, Lord, how does the soil in my heart look? Is it good, healthy soil that something can grow on? The Bible talks about the farmer that went and casted out seeds to sow. And some actually fell on good ground. And it it sprang up fruit hundredfold and, and, and more so on. But then it says that some fell by the wayside and they were just forgotten. And they were emotional. It says some fell on hard ground and they dried up. I said other seeds were, were casted out on good soil actually. It's semi-good. But they were choked out by the cares of this world. And guess what? They never gave fruit. They were choked out by the cares of this world. And they never gave fruit. You see laying the foundation is going to the cross and saying, Lord, I need the cross to lean on. I don't want to lean on the world. You know what the beautiful thing about the cross is? When you get into it, you can embrace the cross. And you can lean on it and build a foundation at the cross. For support and for strength. It's the most important part. Jesus. The work of God and your faith. Because if it's not built on Jesus, then it's not a church at all. If it's not built on Jesus, it's not a church at all. And I'm going to read to you. This verse in Hebrews chapter 12, because it says, Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, therefore, with that being said today, because we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, or the heritage of Scripture, and the Word of God that we have, let us lay aside today, every weight and every sin that so easily traps us, and snares us, holds us back, limits our capacity to grow and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are you going to run 2019? Let us lay aside the weight and let us lay aside the sin. You see, it's so awesome here because what does weight do to you? Weight holds you back. Weight slows you down. And maybe you've been running 2018 with some weight on your shoulder, with some weight that and baggage that you haven't wanted to let go, and therefore it's not letting you run the way you're supposed to be running. It's not letting you run the race of faith that is set before you with endurance. So endurance means that you don't have that longevity anymore, you don't have the discipline to go long, because you get tired, because you're holding on to weight that's not supposed to be there. The sin means the sin that doesn't give you the strength of the power of the Spirit, so that you can go on farther, and it says, Look unto Jesus now, in verse 2, The author and the finisher of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, God has laid out the perfect foundation for you and for me, and Paul comes as a wise master builder, as an expert in that trade, and I've laid the foundation upon Jesus. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. It is not about you, it's about Jesus. And He's laid that foundation for you and for me. He's laid the foundation already. Are you choosing to take that, that, that you can lay aside the sin, that you can lay aside the weight and run with endurance? You know, I want to share, you, will share with you a couple just disciplines and commitments, core values that as a church, last year we said that we were going to commit to. And it was where we wanted to love unconditionally people. We wanted to love them, serve them, and give generously to the Lord. Love unconditionally, we said, you know, we believe that love is, the love of God is all-powerful. It's overflowing, it's abundant. Therefore, we will be extensions and stewards of the love of God in word and in action, demonstrating compassion, character in the heart of Jesus. You're never more like Jesus than when you love. We said we were going to love unconditionally last year. We also said we we're going to serve sacrificially. We will strive always to selflessly and fervently put others first and above ourselves serving our neighbors as well as the ministry as modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that you serve God not only when it's convenient, but you also want to serve when it's inconvenient. Serving the Lord. Not only giving that, serving the Lord, but also giving generously. A discipline. We believe that God loves a cheerful giver. And giving is a part of our worship. We will aggressively seek to invest in the kingdom of God, knowing our time, our talent, and our treasure belongs to Him. Know that today, your time, your treasure, and your talents belong to the Lord. They don't belong to you. We should never be a church that because of finances or because of money, we can't do ministry. We should give generously unto the Lord. And I was going over these things, and I was saying, "Well, how can we go deeper and farther and stretch ourselves more this year? The Lord spoke to me and said, You know what? In the beginning of this year, you, wouldn't even, you didn't even know you were going to be in this building. But you had to take a step of faith. What's going to be the step of faith next year? I want to encourage you this next year to exercise faith courageously. To take steps of faith that, are, that, that require courage. We have named it this. We believe that God is most honored when we take steps of faith that trust Him courageously, that trust Him Fearlessly. Our desire is to be inspired by the Holy Spirit and be moved into action where God is most glorified as we expect exceedingly and abundantly above all we can think or ask. If you want God to do exceedingly and abundantly above everything you think or ask, we have to take courageous steps of faith. Maybe this year you want to say, this is the year of exceedingly, this is the year of abundantly. Then you have to take steps of faith that honor and obey God. Where, where trust, trust in faith is without borders. But then go deeper than that. When we're taking steps of faith, we also want to evangelize boldly. Not only love, serve, give, but take steps of faith and evangelize boldly. It's not something that we do. It's who we are. This is what we do. We evangelize. We believe that we are ambassadors of the gospel and take ownership of the Great Commission as a way of life. Our focus is to be intentional and become evangelists of our generation, shaping our culture, our city, and the world around us with more of Jesus. You know what this means? That the Great Commission is not the Great Omission anymore. That means that when you go to work, you want to evangelize. When you're in the supermarket, you want to tell that person in line that Jesus loves them and you want to invite them to church. You want to meet with people and be able to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then it goes beyond that now and it says, not only do we want to love, serve, give, take steps of faith and evangelize, But we also want to multiply regularly. What does multiply look like? It looks like the Great Commission. It looks like you making a disciple. I want you to ask yourself today, right now, how many people did you lead to the Lord this year? And then how many of those people that you led to the Lord did you see get baptized and you made a disciple? See, that's a disciple, one that leads others to the Lord and then leads others into discipleship. It's so important. We live with the responsibility of discipleship and teaching one another to be rooted and grounded, it says, in the love of God and in the Word of God. Our desire is that disciples will in turn make other disciples that organically causes the growth of the body of Christ while using our spiritual God-given gifts. You know how you do this? You do this as you lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily holds you back. And today, we want to go ahead and ask the Lord to... Help us lay aside sin. Lay aside weight. So that we can be lovers of people and lovers of God. So that we can serve people the way He served us. So that we can give generously without greed. And give abundantly beyond measure. So that we can take steps of faith that honor God and glorify Him. So that we can evangelize boldly. And the Great Commission would spread widely through our community, cities workplaces and everyone would know that we are bold when it comes to the gospel, that we don't shy away from the opportunity when it comes to sharing the gospel. And then we go beyond that and we want to be disciples who in turn make other disciples that organically, what does it do? Grow the body of Christ. Because we've today chosen, made the decision to lay away the sin and the weight that so easily ensnares us. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You God today. We thank you, Lord, because you're so good.